0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 44. The crew is in attendance. Richard, how's it going? Hey,
1: everyone. What's going on?
0: Seth, what's up?
2: (laughs) Not much, guys. What's up with you? (laughs) Literally not much. Um,
0: (laughs) This cast, uh, there's not really much to talk about, so going to get that out of the way. Uh, It's going to be a shorter cast, but we do have a couple things that we want to talk about this cast. So just to go down the docket, we are going to talk about GP Brussels. Uh, we have a really good fish mail that we wanted to talk about too. Uh, it was uploaded last week while we were doing the cast, so we missed it. Apologize for that, but we will talk about it this cast. And, um, we'll round things off with, uh, some MTG Finance stuff. Seth and I just kind of wanted to talk about a few things like the fetches, uh, after Standard and just, uh, the general staleness of Standard, which is gonna be the, uh, I guess motif of this episode in every single, uh, uh, segment that we do. So, um, let's just kick it off. So, GP Brussels happened. Uh, none of us watched it.
1: <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> uh, we, we all figured that out as we were casting. So, it's gonna be a little interesting, but we can still talk about it. The, the good thing about not watching it is, standard is still very status quo. Uh, decks kind of phase in and out of the spotlight here. So, we have a really interesting top eight here. This will obviously probably change week to week as we go. Uh, But anyway, Brussels, we have a lot of four-color rally. Uh, Lucas Wohon took it down with Esper Dragons. So just looking at the top eight, just initial reactions, Richard.
1: There's a lot of 4C rally, which (laughs) I I don't know why, but uh, Zuloport Cutthroat's a good card. Uh, Surprisingly, not a lot of uh, Jeskai Black or Dark Jeskai. Uh, A ton of Absent in this top 32. Um, what that says, I have no idea because next week we'll probably see a tournament where every deck is like Dark Jeskai. Guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems like the the decks are pretty balanced and it's just whatever shows up and who the best players are. Uh, because we're seeing we're seeing the same general decks in the top eight uh, week in and week out, but you know the, their number and their configuration is slightly different. But it's still you know you got your Esper decks, uh, you have your Rally decks, you have your Abs and Aggro, you have your Dark Jeskai and you have your ramp decks, and uh we're seeing that, and I guess that's good in balanced format, but we're not seeing any new, you know, crazy innovative decks or anything, we're just seeing those decks slightly tuned, and uh playing the game of rock, paper, scissors, whoever's going to top eight uh, week in and week out.
2: Yeah. Seth, wh- what do you got? Yeah, I mean, kind of the same as Richard, the most obvious thing is the four-color rally decks. It's It's kind of interesting, I've been wondering for a while, like, what the right rally deck was for the format and this is sort of a somewhat like aristocrat type strategy I don't know I guess if it plays rally it's rally instead of aristocrats but this is basically the I think it was Matt that built it before the pro tour and it's one of the decks they thought about playing at the pro tour and LSV's played it And so it's interesting that uh, the Rally slash Aristocrats decks have kind of consolidated to this one four-color build. There's not really a lot of variance now. You don't see the blue-black Aristocrats deck or, like, Mardu or those other color combinations. Otherwise, it's just a little bit depressing. I mean, you look over (laughs) the top 32 decks, and there's nothing unique or exciting. Like, I could probably name, like, 90% of the cards in each one of those decks just by looking at the at the deck name on the list. Like, there's nothing that even makes me want to click and read, like, oh, this sounds interesting. I wonder what this deck is. So, so that part's a little depressing. It just seems like there isn't much innovation going on at the top levels of standard at the moment.
0: Yeah, I agree with both of you. I mean, like, like I said uh, to start it off, uh, these decks kind of Fall in and out of favor, and like Richard said, like we might see a completely different <laughs> uh, top eight and top thirty-two in the next GP or large uh, standard event, even the Star City Games from week to week. It's just at this point, like the the person playing the deck matchups in this point, but it's it's very status quo. So I, I do agree with you, Seth. It's interesting that the Aristocrats kind of now morphed into this consolidated four color rally deck. But yeah, I mean, it's still the same, like Abzan Aggro, uh, Tarka Red, Dragons, Megamorph, it's all the same stuff. And it just begs to to ask the question is, um, I'm I'm hearing some store owners tell me, you know, when I ask them, and we talk about this all the time on the cast, and this is just kind of things that are said in conversation, that standard attendance is kind of down across the board uh, for their tournaments. Now, this is just kind of... Um, empirical evidence. This is just a few store owners, but is there just like a general lack of interest in standard? And uh, I mean, when you look at this standard, it's not bad. It's just, I mean, it's expensive, but there are a lot of archetypes, but it just doesn't seem too exciting. So I don't know. Uh, what, what's your take on that, Richard?
1: Is it because all of these decks are good stuff decks? Is that... The problem, yeah. like aside from 4C Rally, all of the other decks are just the best cards in their colors, right. and maybe people don't find that as interesting. Um, that would be my only explanation, but like you said, it's actually pretty diverse. We have a lot of archetypes, and uh, the fact that the top 8 continually changes means they're pretty well balanced, but uh, at the same time, people don't seem to be too hyped about standard. Uh, part of it is probably the same cards you were playing a year ago are still being played, you know, Siege Rhino, Mantis Riders, etc., Right. I think the other part is maybe there's nothing exciting in Val for Zendikar, right? Like you're not very excited to play your Sunken Hollows. I mean, you play it, it's good, fine, but you know the only real card people are playing with are is Gideon, and you know there's only so many times you can cast Gideon and feel happy about it, right? Like after a while, <laughs> yeah. you get old, and you go play something else. So, so I don't really know. I don't. I, don't, I haven't been playing standard either, but I don't usually play standard, so right. Yeah. I, I I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, you don't. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's that the lack, I mean, you wrote a really good article on this, Seth, a, a few weeks back now. The impact of Battle for Zendikar on Standard, maybe that's attributing to it as well, but w- what's your take on, like, everything, like, what what I posed to Richard? Same question.
2: Well, for me, I think the problem is, it's not just that the cards are the same, like, yes, there's still Siege Rhino, Mantis Rider, all those cards, but the decks are the same. Like reading down the list of decks apart from the four color rally deck which actually was a deck it just isn't the exact same build but we had multi-color rally decks this could read like a top 32 from six months ago or even a year ago like for me i'm just getting bored with the format because there's nothing different like i just i know what's happening i've seen esper dragons battle of Tarko red battle abzan aggro for the past year or even longer than that at this point. So for me, there's just not a lot of appeal in that. The excitement that usually comes with Standard because it rotates quicker, and you can get by with the same decks um, existing and being top tier in Eternal formats because the card pool is so large that there's, there's... 30 or 40 or 50 different decks that could legitimately win a legacy tournament, probably 20 or 30 that could legitimately win a modern tournament. Right. In, Stan- in standard it's 5 cuz the the card pool is so small and we've been seeing the same five for such a long period of time, the appeal is just uh waning for me.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it standard does have a little bit more than 5 like archetypes. I uh not to be like nitpicking, but no, I do agree. It, it is getting stale even with I mean Richard and I even said, like, there are a lot of archetypes. I mean, if you, if you even pull it up on the site, we got Abzan Agro, Tarka Red, Jeskai, Eldrazi. There's about a good 12 to maybe 15 viable archetypes. It's just you do keep seeing the same ones over and over again. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's healthy, it's balanced, but maybe it's just not exciting because it's so focused around the old block that we've been, ha- that we've had for, you know, for a while now, for a year. Uh, over a year now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do agree with you. It is different, like, when you look at Modern and Legacy, you will see a lot of the same decks, uh, getting played in Modern and Legacy, but you're right. The, the difference is that there's so many kind of intricate parts of gameplay that keep it interesting. Standard, it's kind of just smashing, you know, uh, how many times can you see a Mantis Rider smash against a Siege Rhino deck? I mean, it's, it does get boring, and even with, a couple archetypes springing up uh more recently like the green red Eldrazi deck or or you know any of those variants it's still very stale and i think maybe price is definitely a factor but i think it's just the overall non impactful uh Battle for Zendikar set like that it's had on it's just not
2: impactful on standard and i think it's now showing in a big way yeah i mean basically i think cons was arguably too good or at least comparatively too good and battle for zendikar went way the other direction if we had had two sets in a row that were more middling power level we'd see a better mix of different cards and probably uh more cards from each block being played but just a huge discrepancy in power level between cons being on the high end and battle for zendikar being on the low end just means that standard really didn't change even with a rotation where half the sets in standard left the format and a big fall set entering the format, it just that didn't do anything to shake up the format, so it leaves it feeling like last year's standard, which is okay for small periods. We got through a, a relatively long period of mono-black devotion versus mono-blue devotion oh, versus Esper <laughs> Control, but still, <laughs> right. that didn't go on like that for 18 months or whatever it'll be by the time Cons finally rotates this spring. That's just too long for the format to be so set in stone.
0: Yeah. Maybe once we're in that kind of full block cadence mode, like the, the new cadence, maybe that kind of amends some of these issues where standard does get stale. And I, I think maybe that's a huge attributing factor to why they ended up doing that. Um, so they don't run into these issues, uh, with a increased, uh, rate of rotation. Um, maybe there will be a little bit more diversity, but you know, that has its issues as well. Um, mainly like a financial implication and just. Um, you know, people wanting to just invest in Standard. But um I, I foresee with the new Cadence, maybe that actually ends up being a positive because, well, not for people invested in Finance, but, you know, you will see the cards we've said uh on this, t- on Cast numerous times, the cards like Mantis Rider, Siege Rhino and all that just being so relatively cheap that you can buy a Standard deck for uh significantly much less than they are now. And, you know, maybe... You know, people will be able to take breaks from standard because of the rotation so fast that they can kind of jump in and out of standard as they please and go back to modern or something like that. Uh, something that's, you know, a little more, you know, just to take a little bit of a break from standard, uh, so they don't have to kind of be out of it for so long. Uh, like when you, when you want to play standard, uh, before, like you said, we've had these long periods of time where you see the same stuff like devotion or something like that and then you're sitting there waiting for months and months and months and you can't, you don't want to play standard, you know, you still have to keep waiting until those cards are gone. So, um yeah, maybe that's just that's just some rambling about it. Um but yeah, not not too much to come away with G P Brussels. Again, standard's very much status quo. Uh, any final thoughts on just standard in general or G P Brussels? Alright, uh let's move along. We had a really good fish mail, so Richard, um again, yeah, we, we just saw this, so we'll tackle it now. This is um this came in while we were casted last week.
1: Yeah, this comes, uh, via Twitter from Shy Shai at Shitespeed. I believe, uh, this person has asked questions before. I recall the yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think of the fact that four vintage staples, Hangerback, locker, Treasure Cruise, Dig Through Time, Jace, are in standard?
0: It's an interesting question. Um, Richard, why don't you, uh, why don't you handle it first?
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure what this question is actually asking. Is it a comment on the power? level of cards or is it an mtg finance question um i don't know but i'm going to answer the power level aspect because i find it uh, pretty interesting uh you know there's a lot of people think the old cards are very powerful and when you look at vintage decks yes you know the most powerful restricted cards are typically cards from alpha and beta you know lotus moxin power knight etc but we've been getting a lot of super powerful cards recently that You know, have warped legacy, modern, uh, and have somehow gone under the radar standard. So, Deathrite Shaman comes to mind. uh, Delver of Secrets. um, All the delve cards are making a large impact across formats. So, I think Wizards is actually doing a pretty good job at printing new and powerful cards. But for some reason, people just gloss over that, and you know, they say you know the the new cards are watered down and they're not as powerful. But there have been a lot of powerful cards and. Uh, our latest card, which is Jace, uh, shows that. A lot of people just undervalued him initially, and now he's literally everywhere. And uh, there's an article that's coming up soon that's going to be called Jace Vintage Prodigy. And, you know, that's, that's <laughs> all you need to know, right? It's like, what <laughs> happened here, right? Like, this guy's better than Mind Sculptor? Like, what happened, right? And, you know, Wizards will continue printing powerful cards. So it's a very interesting you know, when you look over the history of these powerful cards, what they look like. So I think people need to kind of adjust the way they perceive these cards, especially given the fact that, you know, four vintage staples are in standard right now.
0: Yeah, and it's also, you know, all three of these cards are blue. uh, So that kind of goes right along with vintage stuff uh being the most powerful color and the last one rounding it up as an artifact. So staying true to the vintage and legacy... Mantra of, you know, blue is the strongest color and colorless stuff. So. so I just thought it was kind of funny. It is it is a little weird that, um, you know, they're still making cards that need to be banned uh, so swiftly, like Treasure Cruise and J- uh, Dig Through Time in the same set. I just thought that was kind of always uh, interesting. Um, to answer the question, what do I think about it? I think that they still push cards far enough that they're so powerful they need to be banned or so powerful that they affect uh, every format, which is good. Uh, obviously, you're not going to see them in every single set. You know, obviously, we didn't see that in Battle for Zendikar uh, too much. But, yeah, they they definitely do still push the envelope on cards sometimes, uh, so much to the extent that they have to ban them. Like you said, Richard, this could, I guess, also be a finance question. And in terms of that, uh, yeah, they're all in standard would, but they're so powerful that a lot of them needed to be banned. So they're kind of irrelevant. Uh, so I don't really know much more to say other than that.
1: Oh, They're banned kind of They're wrote. all standard legal. <laughs> right, they're all
0: them. standard legal. So you could play a mini vintage, I guess, kind of deck with all these cards. And
2: some <laughs> do. Um, yeah, Seth, what do you think? Well, well, two things. First off, I think that these cards are a testament to uh, to what vintage is as a format. Hanger back isn't just like a straight up broken card it doesn't see any playing legacy that i'm aware of doesn't really see playing modern but you have these crazy old cards in vintage like mistress workshop where you can just create tons of artifact mana and it and it's it's a testament to vintage more than it is the cards i mean there was a time when slash panther which is oh my a God. horrible card was a vintage staple because it worked so well with workshops Uh, So I think that's part of it, and also, as far as the Delve cards, it's just so easy to fill your graveyard with these really cheap cantripping spells and fetch lands that that's why they're staples in Vintage. To me, the most interesting part is this shows how Wizards just really doesn't care about older formats, because if you look at Treasure Cruise and you look at Dig Through Time, those cards are... Amazingly well balanced for standard. Like, I don't think you have any argument. I don't think that those cards are too powerful. They're at a really, a really good power level for standard. They're playable, index of their colors, but they're not format breaking. Uh, so I think wizards a lot of time into making sure these cards would be okay for standard, but really didn't pay attention to what they might do to modern and legacy and vintage just because they don't really test for those formats when they're making cards the exception is probably jace which i think at this point everyone is just starting to think of as a mistake that it was just too good uh but otherwise i think that's what happened like they built cards that were great for standard but didn't really pay attention to the unintended consequences that might happen in eternal formats
1: Yes, well, here, here's I a agree. more meta question for you guys. Is Delve the next storm? Like, to me, it seems like a mistake mechanic, right? Like, Treasure Cruise yeah. and Dig is emergency banned, well, not emergency banned, but it's banned, uh, in all the eternal formats or restricted, and you still have Tastiger and Gurmog Angler just causing headaches in Modern and Legacy. Like, is it one of these things that they kind of painted themselves in the corner, and, you know, these cards are just one mana, you know, something, which something should be three or four mana, right?
0: Right. Well, I think they made these round of Delve cards too strong. The ability is inherently powerful, but, I mean, if you look back through when Delve first was, like, announced and all these Delve cards in Magic's history, like, there was maybe, what, one good Delve card that was good in any other format, and that was, what, Tombstalker? Yeah. I mean, I don't they were they were curbed enough that none of them were so egregious to any format but this time around i mean when you have a when you have all blue cards doing insanely good stuff and then you just tack delve to it people are going to find a way to make that an ancestral recall then you add in fetchland so there, a lot of things just lined up that these round of delve cards were just really good um so th- to me they just made these cards too good because they've they've made delve cards in the past that haven't been this impactful
2: i i got two questions for you guys first off is it just as simple as tacking an extra colored mana onto the card like, if you look at the old Delve cards, most of those that were good were, were double double mana costs. So you, yeah. at the, at the, even with the biggest benefit you could get from Delve, you had to pay two colored mana. With the new cards, a lot of them weren't like that. Uh, Tassiger, Angler, uh, Mandrills, Hooting Mandrills, Treasure Crews, these are all one single colored mana that's required to play them. So I think that that's an easy fix, is just to add another colored mana or two. The the question, though, is what what is the right Delve number? Like, as I mentioned before, these cards seem balanced for standard, and I think they did a good job balancing them for standard. What, was, what would the right number of mana, including Delve, be for a Treasure Cruise in Legacy, Richard? Like, what should that mana cost be to make that a fair card? Or just can you not, is it never a fair card?
0: The thing with Tombstalker and it being the most played Delve card out of the bunch, again, and it wasn't even seeing that much play, the fact that maybe it was a creature, you know, made it a little fair. I don't think you can make an Ancestral Recall that good, like, that bad, even adding, you know, X amount of mana more to it. Maybe you could. Maybe you just needed to add three more generic and a and a blue to it, and that would be fair. I don't know. Go ahead, Richard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you add enough colorless mana, it, it will become fair. Uh, you know, like, if Treasure Cruise was 10 to cast or something, it, it starts getting a lot harder. Um, But it it will fix some of the other cards, definitely, right? Like if you add an extra colored mana, like Murderous Cut, Become Immense, those cards would be significantly worse, right? Like why would you ever play Murderous Cut if you had to pay like double black and delve some cards, right? So I think it would fix those cards. But a card like Treasure Cruise, if it was like blue, blue, uh, I think you would still play it. So I think it would fix some cards, but other cards would be broken. Uh, Gurmog, Angler, and Tasker I think become significantly worse. Uh, cause the benefit of these cards, especially in modern, is to, uh, gain the tempo edge, right? You basically cast, like, say, a two mana removal spell and then a one mana, five, five creature. Uh, when your creature is now two mana, you might not be able to do that on turn three now, so it delays your entire turn and that kind of, uh, puts it back in the Hooting Mangels range, Tombstalker range, and it's, it's a good card, but not format warping. So I think the extra color, colored mana would actually do something, but, for Treasure Cruise, I don't know that it would make that big of a difference. The problem is you have Fetchlands, you have Thought Scour, uh, you have Jace, you have all these ways to fill your graveyard, so, you know, counting how many cards you need to delve is, is actually a pretty hard job for wizards, because people can just warp their decks, and you have detaxian Probe, you have all these cycling things, it, it's just like a mess, so, it, it's like Storm, right? Like, Storm itself is fine, but, when you have all these cantrips, it becomes a problem. When you have all these rituals, it becomes a problem. So it just becomes, like, a big mess to kind of to try to balance out.
2: I, I think, yeah. though, I think, like, with Treasure Cruise, if it costs... 14 mana or something aren't you getting it to the ancestral visions level where you have to jump through like build your deck your deck building is so restricted and you have to jump through such a big hoop like you do with shardless agent to cascade into ancestral visions that maybe it like kind of becomes a fair card at that point like if you just up that mana cost enough maybe
1: definitely i mean you can just make it really high like 15 and it's very hard to cast right but you know that's like so bad no one's gonna play it it's like uh the time walk cards but you broke that last week but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know like you, you have to like tone it down though you know is is nine mana too much you know is eight mana too much and then you, you get to the gray area where if you're off by one mana the card is insanely powerful right yeah and because like uh, two Stalker is just almost gurmog angler or Tassiger, right but One was, like, a fringe playable, and the other is played everywhere now. It's just, like, so difficult to to balance.
2: And I guess the other problem is if you balance it for Legacy and make Treasure Cruise cost 14 mana or something, then it's just utterly unplayable in Standard. Like, you would never, ever play that in Standard or Limited, and you're building this card specifically for Legacy, which we just talked about is kind of a somewhat dying, maybe, don't yell at me format. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, so the solution is modal cards. If the format is legacy, it does this. If it's modern, it does this. Which they kind of well, that, they kind of have those cards, right? Where they instead of saying your life total is twenty, they start mentioning your starting life total, which is kind of a nod to the formats that don't start at twenty life. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to design for standard. You know, and not take into account the other formats, which, like you said, Seth, they're clearly not doing. But the caveat is, they can always just ban these cards, right? I mean, yeah, for a little while, it's a little crazy, but uh, eventually they get to it. Maybe they need to increase the rate they ban stuff, uh, in case, or you know, maybe just start implementing these emergency bans a little quicker because it's these cards that really cause a huge issue. But bannings feel so bad. I never to It does. Wanna...
2: It does. Ugh. Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, I, I think, think...
0: But that's really so, the only solution, right? I mean...
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the problem is, you do. you just don't design these cards. It, it, like, Delve is so hard to hate out. Like, you need to make... Like, you can't just put graveyard hate. Like, they could right. easily make a, a Thalia for graveyards. It'd have to be, like, a 2-mana two 2-1 two when it enters the battlefield, remove 4 cards from the graveyard from the game or something. And yeah. then you would have all these Delve cards in check, but you've just killed like, all these graveyard strategies in the Yeah. Process, so.
0: yeah. It, it's hard to balance these inherently strong uh, abilities, and that's really what it comes back down to. Like, it was like devotion, right? Like, devotion was just such an inherently strong ability in standard that, you know, if you couldn't beat it, join it. You know, it, it was just... And it was so so simplistic, too, but it was just stronger than any other strategy you could be doing because uh, it was it was just inherently strong, and there wasn't... You didn't need to go out of your way just to start making, like, good decisions about devotion. Like, it was all there in front of you. So, it, it's kind of the same thing with Delve. Like, it's just inherently strong, and you, you can't hate on Delve if that's really a thing. Like, you can't really... It, it's hard to implement hate cards for this stuff. Like, they need to just be generically good. And also, it's it, they need to be like the scavenging news, which we always go back to on this cast. They didn't, They need to make more... Scavenging ooze esque cards to deal with this kind of stuff.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the more we talk about it, maybe it's just not worth it to even try. Like, I think yeah. your guys, your guys' arguments are convincing me that maybe it's better if delve is like storm. If there's such a high potential, I would rather see them not not make more cards that are going to have to be banned in modern and legacy and vintage than to keep making those cards and keep going through the heartache that comes along with banning cards and people spending tons of money to build a deck around those cards only to ban them three months or six months later like we've seen with pod like we saw with treasure cruise like we saw with dig through time so maybe it's better just to leave some of those things on the sidelines rather than risk it i guess if it's really that sticky of a situation like maybe you just can't build fair Storm cards, and maybe you can't build fair Delve cards. Maybe that's what it comes down to.
0: Maybe. So hopefully we answered that question on uh, every aspect, like every meta aspect you can even talk about that question, but it was a really good question, and uh, I think it, it really did spark a good discussion. Um, so, with that, do we want to move on? Let's kind of wrap things up with uh, financial talk. We kind of didn't really get a chance to uh talk about this aspect of the cast over the last few weeks. We kinda just you know didn't really have much to talk about and we had guests on and that was great, so we kinda didn't have time. But um Seth, let's uh let's go through it.
2: Uh, uh alright, the weekly change. You guys are gonna love this. Oog and the Spirit Greg and number one gainer. Swamp two sixty three, Swamp two sixty one, Planes two fifty three <laughs> Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, another Swamp, 262, Plains 252, Plains 254, Secure the Waste, and finally ten Spot. A forest snuck onto the list. Forest
0: 274.
1: Yeah! I think it's time to remove basic lands from this
0: list. (laughs) They were relevant
1: at one point because of the full art lands, but people just randomly like to list their lands from 10 cents to 30 cents. (laughs) So they show up on this list.
0: Clearly. (laughs) Uh,
2: um, Yeah, so Swamp Finance (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously the big news is Ugin is 42 bucks, 19% yeah. up this week. That's that's by far the biggest change on the list, and it's interesting. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out this whole rotation thing. Like, I keep thinking in the back of my head, like, why are these cards spiking and peaking like four months or four and a half months before rotation when normally this is when cards have already started to lose a lot of value, so I'm still trying to stumble my way through this new block cadence and try to figure out the financial ramifications of that.
0: Yeah, me too. I think the best way I can tackle that question is well Ugin's starting to get this kind of dual uh play like in modern and standard now. And with the increased amount of these red-green Eldrazi lists, um that's obviously drawing in new players to play those archetypes. And really, I mean, when you look at these deck lists, you're really only spending money on Ugin and Ulamog as like the two uh highest kind of price cards in the deck. So maybe that has something to do with it. It is interesting to see it spikes so hard uh, before rotation. Uh, I do expect it to come down a little bit once that happens and be like more around where it was... And, uh, stay around maybe the same price, uh, that Karn has kind of historically held, uh, in its lifetime. Because it, it is played in U- uh, Tron, but it's not the four of, like, Karn
2: is usually. Yeah, I think... <sighs> I wouldn't be surprised to see it in the $40 range like a year or two years from now, but I think that it will have to drop down at rotation at least for a while. But if it doesn't get reprinted, it's one of those cards, huge casual card, colorless planeswalker, dragon planeswalker. Like it hits all the marks of a card that can keep growing post-rotation after it dips down.
0: Yeah, for sure. And especially the promo version uh, too, that that might uh, actually spark Uh, a price movement in those two in the future. But yeah, you're right. It it does have all those um, good points to maintain its value. It's just I don't think it's going to be super inflated like it is now because it does have a drastic drop-off to the amount of play it sees in modern than all this standard uh, demand.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's definitely true. It's not a four-of in Modern, and right now it is a four-of in those Eldrazi decks you were mentioning. So Yeah.
0: Ulamog, too. I mean, Ulamog dipped down for a while, and I, I think if you're going to play them, uh, now would be a really good time. I don't, you know, even if they do reprint the other big three Eldrazi, I mean, this is still a pretty good thing to do at 10 mana. And even, like, with um, Emrakul, I mean... <laughs> It would be pretty hard to print a better Emrakul than the one we have now. Uh, So, I mean, again, this Ulumag seems like a really good thing to uh, own, especially with these ramp strategies um, being largely intact after rotation and suddenly
2: getting a lot of new uh, interest. So. I mean I think I think the thing is though, is the new Emrakul, assuming there is one, better than the new Ulamog. I don't think it has to necessarily beat the old Emrakul, because that right. is not not gonna happen. But if for some reason Emrakul is twelve mana and just a ton more powerful than Ulamog, then Maybe it could see a decline in play, so I, I I don't know, but I think you're right. I think it's a pretty safe investment. It's still in standard for a long time, and it's just kind of scratching its potential right now, uh, just kind of peeking up into the Tier 2 area, so there's a decent chance that an Eldrazi deck sometime in the next 18 months will be one of the best decks in the format for an extended period of time.
0: Right, and you also have to look at, like... If they do print the other two, I mean, these are just kind of those things that players, casual, competitive alike, will end up using. And, and, you know, these these cards are sought after regardless. So, um, yeah, I mean, Ulamog, again, dipped very low. It it would be good to get them now if you want to play them. I don't see them price hiking very high, but it, it would high enough that it would kind of be aggravating to buy them in once they've kind of inflated a little bit. Um, because they really aren't going any lower, obviously.
2: Yeah, and there's, like we talked about a while ago, There's we have the Expeditions, which ended up being less rare than we thought and less expensive now than they were, and then we have Gideon, and there's not a whole lot more going on in the set as far as value. Right. So so Ulamog can probably increase a bit in value just because it doesn't have much competition at this point beyond the Expeditions and Gideon in Battle for Zendikar. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it
0: is also seeing um, a dual Modern play. I did see a couple of Tron lists starting to use, you know, a singleton copy of this card because it does do good things for 10 mana.
2: Still has yeah. two Vindicates. Yeah, I mean, that's that. it does get around some problems. I mean, there's certain uh, hate cards and lock pieces that would be nice to be able to exile as a Tron player, so that's a good option for it. Yeah,
0: uh, on the loser side, kind of um, normal here. Uh, Gideon is down a little bit from being super inflated. Ojitai is down. Jace is down. Drana, uh, Den Protector, Deathmiss Raptor, Obnixilis, Atarka's Command, Nyssa. So um, not huge price movement there. Uh, Gideon obviously being number one on the chart, uh, being super inflated. But, um, you know, th- these aren't really huge percentages uh, to work with on some of these cards. So, you know, you could take that for what it's
2: worth, really. Yeah, I think with a lot of those cards, it's, especially the Battle for Zendikar cards, it's a product of redemption kicking up on Magic Online. So those cards will probably keep ticking down over the next little bit, a few percentage a week, until maybe the format shifts this spring and they start to see more play. Yeah. Um,
0: one card specifically from Battle for Zendikar I like keeping an eye on, and it's, it's still intriguing that it's still holding nine, ten bucks. Is, and we talked about this at this Drana, um, It's one of those cards that we said that probably wouldn't end up as a bulk mythic, and uh, obviously we're right. (laughs) So it it isn't. It's definitely decreased from its pre-order price, but I don't see this card getting too much lower than the eight, you know, eight dollar range. Maybe it goes to seven or six, but it's just, it seems like one of those quintessential, like, powerful standard cards. Um, so maybe, like, keep an eye on
2: it in the future. I think it's got a chance to be a four-of in a top-tier deck eventually. I think right now one of the big problems is Mantis Rider. It just right. matches up incredibly poorly against Mantis Rider. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely not something you
0: want to see when you're playing Drana is a Mantis Rider, but yeah. Um, on to the modern end of things. Uh, there were a little bit more uh, price movements. We got Glimmer Void now sitting at... $30 retail, we see Tarmogoyf, uh, a couple of the um, uh, Zendikar Fetchlands, Damnation, Protean Hulk is starting to finally uh, take off after a few of the finishes from this new uh, Protean Steps, like Protean Hulk uh, combo deck. Um, so yeah, um, on the loser side, Crucible of Worlds um, increased drastically, so that's coming back down a little bit. Um, Bendillion Click, Gisela with the new, uh, Commander reprint, uh, Dark Confidant, uh, Cryptic Command, Blood Moon, Ensnaring Bridge. So, uh, yeah, Glimmer Void definitely is interesting. Um, it's one of those cards that got reprinted. It was a while ago now in Modern Masters 1, but a, you know, a staple in Affinity that is still largely played in the, uh, modern metagame. It's a huge percentage.
2: Yeah, and I think it's been seeing some play in some other weird builds as well, like the Lantern Top Control deck, uh, Caleb Dern. Sternwald on Channel Fireball put out a Carrot Clan Ironworks stack that plays Glimmer Void, so it's just like a week ago or so. So it's uh, it's seen playing these other decks, which is probably ticking up the demand. If you already have a lot of demand from Affinity being a tier one deck, and then these other decks are adding to it, that's probably driving the price up as people want their copies to play Lantern Control or Carrot Clan Ironworks and such. I agree. Um, yeah. So that I mean, that's really.
0: Uh, just looking at Legacy 2. Um, nothing crazy with that old school stuff, luckily. <laughs> so, uh, but Sarah Sanctum, actually, I've seen moving a, a lot recently. Uh, Richard, am I missing something? I don't see Enchantress, like, popping back up in a big way, big way. So I don't know where Sarah Sanctum suddenly is getting a lot of, uh, interest. Maybe the Commander deck being very centered around enchantments? Um, it's on the reserve list too, so I mean that makes sense.
1: Maybe I mean it. It works well with the the new uh, what's his name something of Ghost Council.
0: <laughs> oh, Carla. Yeah, Carla. I
1: mean, but oh no, sorry, not 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 him. Uh, Daxos. Oh, Daxos. Daxos, Daxos, Daxos. Daxos.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it works well with that, but I, I don't I don't know that all these EDH players are scrambling for their Sarah Sanctum. My guess is it's just a really old card, and someone right. decided. You know, know, like, four people decided to build Enchantress, and then this card is, like, (laughs) taken off. Like, that that would be my guess, but uh, I'm not entirely sure.
0: Yeah, certainly, yeah, definitely, that does seem like a good catalyst, the Commander deck. But, yeah, uh, it is old, maybe people want to try out Enchantress or something, but um, probably the Commander deck is the sudden interest
2: in in the card, uh, people building around enchantments, because... Where does, where does, uh, Legacy, or where does Enchantress fall, Richard, on the budget scale of Legacy? Like, if you were a new player wanting to go to the GP and play a deck, like, would that be a deck you would maybe put together, because it's not as expensive as some of the other decks?
1: No, I mean, I, I wouldn't, because you play all these weird cards that no other deck plays, and, uh, so in terms of investment to the format, it's pretty poor. Uh and it's also it plays very strangely and differently from other decks. So I, I wouldn't uh play a deck like this. Uh the easiest way to go budget is to just play Shocklands, I think. <laughs> like you're gonna lose some percentage of the game because you lost you know, you starting the game at four life or two life less than the other guy, but it lets you play uh the way the format's supposed to play. And you don't have to play like these weird off the wall decks where you you gain very narrow skills, right? You learn how to combo with Enchantress, but if your intent is to one day play Reanimator or something, like, it, it's totally different.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you're right, Richard. Like, it is cheap, but, I mean, <laughs> just because it's cheap doesn't mean, I mean, you're you're still, like, not having a very good time. <laughs> because Oh, you can
1: have a great it, time, as long as you right, want to play this deck. But I wouldn't right. play it just because it's cheap. I would play it because right. you love slinging enchantments, right? <laughs> or you like how this deck attacks. Uh, other decks, but if you're trying to transition into the format, this is, like, a strange deck to do so. Or it's kind of like Dredge, where Dredge is very powerful, but it plays, like, so vastly different than any other deck that it's hard to use that as a stepping stone.
0: Let's be honest, it has green in it. You don't want to play it. Like, we get it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, (laughs) Tarmogoyf's
1: a good card. (laughs) Deathrite Shop is also green.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, anything other, uh, things you wanted to touch on and, in, in financial stuff, Seth? I don't, I didn't really see too much else, um, that jumped out at me.
2: Uh, well, let me ask you one thing I've been wondering about and trying to figure out is what is going to happen with fetches once rotation hits in four months or four and a half months. Do you have right. an, op- an opinion on the price of fetches six months from now? So like three months after rotation or so?
0: Um, yes, I do. I think it'll be kind of what other, uh, multi-format cards do when they rotate. Like, I'll, I'll take, you know, Thoughtseize and Snapcaster Mage as an example. They will most likely decrease. Actually, they, they definitely will decrease some percentage. Um, as people who primarily play standard and don't really care about other formats, there are players like that, uh, that will want to use the proceeds, uh, to keep playing standard. Um, that will happen. There is going to be some percentage of a decrease. Is it going to be huge? Probably not. Uh, but, um, I would say the, the, the fetches that see the most play will have less of a drop off. And then the cards that are pretty much buoyed just by being in standard, like the, the windswept heath, the Blood, bloodstained mire, stuff like that, uh, that'll probably drop off even more so, uh, because, you know, they're, uh, the the amount of percentage that they're played in modern uh and how much you know relative to each other so again you know you could say probably flooded strand polluted delta even the wooded foothills uh seeing more play in in more decks uh recently like zoo this red green aggro deck that's been putting up numbers in modern um even scapeshift adopting wooded foothills those cards probably won't decrease as much but uh, but let's say Meyer, you know, windswept teeth. Those will probably see more of a decline.
2: All right. Part two of the question. Assuming I agree with you, I should say that. But assuming they drop down, I don't know, fifteen dollars, ten dollars. Are they snap buys? Are you expecting these to do the Snapcaster Mage and be fifty bucks two or three years after rotation? <sighs> um. I don't see them going back to the
0: original Polluted Delta numbers. I just don't see it happening. I, I um, There's just a lot of them out there. These are the kind of cards that, you know, they'll throw in a fetch land as a one-of and some supplemental product here and there, and it's not that egregious, uh, you know, that everyone's going to start hoarding a uh, uh, supplemental product. Like, if they do a modern event deck you know they could throw a a flooded strand in there uh it wouldn't be you know that big of a deal uh but yeah i just don't see them ever returning to previous post uh pre cons uh prices so is it a snap buy if they get ever like you know too cheap maybe but i mean again these are just kind of shock lands i mean everyone's just been holding on to those for a while and you know they really haven't been doing that much maybe as the years go by and there's no reprints. Then we can kind of revisit it, but uh, I don't see them making such, you know, turning the corner and, you know, having such a sharp uh, increase, uh, you know, just being only six months or, you know, away from just
2: being in Standard. Yeah, uh, for me, the thing that really, I don't think they can go back to their old prices, but the part that I keep getting stumped on is they feel like they have to be more expensive than the Shocklands, which are what, $10 right. or so right now, just because yeah. they see so much more play than the Shocklands. So, I don't know if they ever got down really to somehow the ten dollar range. I would be tempted just to buy some on that theory alone because they see play in legacy the shocklands don't they're four ofs in modern the shocklands aren't, so you would assume just based on the demand they there would have to be more demand for the fetches than shocks, so the price should be higher but maybe maybe that's not right i'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, you make a great point. I mean, these are cards that are multi-format staples and there is a huge demand for them. Uh, there are a lot of them out there, but you know, again, at the same time, you're losing one of the, you know, the primary formats that they're being highlighted in right now. And basically the crux of the format right now is the, is the fetch lands uh, kind of make driving everything that's going on in standard. Once you lose that, I mean, there is a, that's a big chunk of, like, players that, you know, kind of don't want them anymore or selling them off and keep, to keep playing standard or what have you. And they are, lo- again, losing that format of seeing play. Um, I don't know if you can make a huge argument for just legacy and modern alone to, to keep them, uh, uh, like their price tags buoyed. Maybe modern, but again, I just don't see them ever returning to, Pre KTK prices. Um, maybe they'll just kind of stick around. Again, the big three, the, the Delta, uh, Strand and, and Flooded Strand or Foothills staying kind of relative to where they are now, but I, I expect a kind of a big drop off to, um, uh, Heath and,
2: uh, Bloodstainmire because they just don't see as much play. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess the supply is likely somewhat higher for, uh, cons than it was for return to Ravnica. So I guess that factors into the equation to some extent too. Uh, I don't know. It's, I think you're right. In general, I agree with everything you said. They will dip a little at rotation. I think they will recover, but they'll never be as expensive as they were before. That's my, my take.
0: Yeah. I mean, they would, I mean, if you look, I mean, it's a great tool on the website. Uh, if you just kind of look on the format staples, um uh, they are kind of top lands. You, you do see Wooded Foothills. You do see all the fetches actually in there. But, again, there's just a lot more supply than there used to be. Uh, a card like Thoughtseize is just a very ubiquitous um, spell in Modern. I mean, it's a top 10 overall card in Modern. So I would expect a card like that to kind of see more of a rebound than the fetch lands. I, I just kind of see them... It, if they don't decrease that much, they'll definitely just stay put. Um, and then maybe start increasing as we go, you know, as we get further and further away from uh, them being in cons. But again, it's just those kind of seem more of a likely candidate to throw in, you know, a one of in some random supplemental product um, as we go along.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess you never know when another reprinting will happen. We have seen uh, even just recently, was it the Magic Origins? Uh, Event deck or clash pack that had a windswept teeth in it. So it does happen on occasion.
0: Yeah. I mean, it could happen even, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like the event deck for, uh, oath of the gatewatch has a fetch land in it. You never know. I mean, again, it it just doesn't seem, they, they seem like a prime candidate to throw in here and there. And it's not so egregious that you put in a, a footage strand and like everyone starts hoarding, uh, the product. Um, so because they did that with, uh, a couple mythics and rares. I mean, there was a good enough value in there that you're just basically getting what you're paying for. Um, and it did drive down the prices a little more of like the Taziker, even, uh, Hangarback Walker and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's a really good question. Um, I, I'm kind of sticking to what I said, but I mean, you really never know, uh, with these, but just historically and the way I see, you know, these kind of trends and these cards that are played in multiple formats when they do exit standard um you know i'm just going off that really um and 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 applying it here because i think that's exactly what's going to happen
2: yeah i agree with you i think i think you're right on base as far as what'll happen i agree yeah
0: um anything else anything we wanted to cover out the door um yeah, I, I think we covered everything. Really good discussion on the fish mail. Thank you again for the fish mail and and for everyone else that send us sends us fish mail. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, those are always really good to read and talk about. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that about does it for this uh, cast, and we will see you guys next time on the MTG Goldfish Podcast. This is the crew signing out.